Well, I want to invite all of you this morning to just join with me in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, I'm going to read the first 18 verses of this Gospel. John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Well, this is a passage that we want to work through over these next couple of weeks to help us get ready for Christmas. And I hope that you are getting ready for Christmas. And when I ask that question, I'm not talking about the presents and the gifts or the decorations and the food. I'm really talking about are you ready to respond rightly to the message of Christmas? I think we as a church have a golden opportunity to think clearly about the message of Christmas in fresh ways. Uh, Shelly and I gave you a book to read through Advent season that we pray will help. And today in the next couple of weeks, we want to spend some time in the Gospels uh, to get ready for Christmas as well. Now, let me ask you, which of the Gospels do we most often go to to find the Christmas story? And if you are answering at home, you're probably saying Matthew and Luke. And if you're saying that, you would really be correct. The Gospel of John, where we are this morning, starts very different than the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. It's different in at least two ways. One, it doesn't have what we traditionally know as the birth narrative of Jesus. It doesn't tell us about Joseph 
and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds and about the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And two, it doesn't have the long genealogy. Or, or does it? <laughs> Matthew ties Jesus' roots to the line of Abraham and David, but here in John's gospel, he actually predates both Abraham and David and takes us back before time began. There in the beginning, before there was time, before anything was created that is now created, we're told by John, then was the word. John's gospel really dazzles us with the greatness of Jesus in such a way that when we understand what John says about Jesus, the more traditional Christmas narratives in Matthew and Luke will become all the more amazing to us. We know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us is, in fact, Jesus Christ. But why does John here, uh, why does the Holy Spirit really use word to refer to Jesus? The Greek word here is logos. Um, for the Greek, its basic meaning is an expression of thought, such as a concept or saying, a statement, or even a message. We can say it's a revelation of something. Or, as we see in this case, it's really the revelation of a person. It's not by accident that John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning. So, where have we heard that before? Well, the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout the Old Testament, we're taught that God's word was spoken and the universe came into existence. Here in John, the word is the powerful self-disclosure of God. The, the beauty of John 1.1 is that the word is a person. It's not just an impersonal uh, power or idea. The, the word of John 1 is a living person who reveals God to us. Jesus is the living word. That, that is, God reveals himself through the word who is a person, Jesus. But what does John 1 verses 1 through 3 teach us and tell us about the word? Well, one of the things that we learn here is that the word existed before time began. Uh, verse 1 begins by saying, in the beginning was the word. So the phrase in the beginning does not refer to when the word came into existence. The phrase refers to that period before anything was even created. What existed before creation, it was the word. In other words, the, the word is eternal. The, the word existed before time was created. The word has always existed from eternity past. When the beginning began, the word was already there. The word's existence predates all that was created, e even time. So in the beginning was the word, and we're told in verse 1, 
the word was with God. So the word communed in perfect fellowship with God the Father in eternity past. That little preposition with is a marker of association, often with implications of interrelationships. It has the idea not merely of uh, company, but the most intimate communion. In other words, the word not only pre-existed creation, the word existed before anything was created in a close personal relationship with God the Father in eternity past. The word was with God. There, there are two really very important things that we learn here. One is that the word shared equality with God in his essence. We'll talk more about the deity of the word in a moment, but here I want you to notice that if the word was not divine, it could not have communed in perfect fellowship with God the Father in the beginning. Excuse me. Or it would have never related with God in a close personal relationship as an equal. So the word shared equality with God in his essence. And, and yet the word maintained distinction from God the Father in identity. The word was with God clearly states that the word was a distinct personality. We often see that God the Father uh, we also see that God the Father is a distinct personality. So the marvel and the majesty of this passage is that it allows for, and in fact explicitly states, that the word was an equal to God the Father. And in fact coexisted with God the Father before anything was ever created. So what we have here in John 1 is the biblical teaching of the Trinity. Um, we unfortunately live in a day where people love to say what, what matters is that you believe. It really doesn't matter what you believe, just that you believe in something. People love being spiritual or, or being people of faith, but that sort of thinking and believing is entirely man-centered. It doesn't make the supreme maker of heaven and earth central. It makes your own faith and your own ideas God, and that is idolatry. <coughs> Excuse me. In fact, in our day, people are tolerant with the notion that all religions of the world worship the same God anyway. Some call him Buddha, some call them Allah, some call them whatever name they come up with on their own. But in fact, we can't make God to be what we want him to be. He is the supreme being in the universe. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. He has the right to rule. And the blessing for us is this, is that God has revealed himself to man. And he has done that in part through what he has what he has created, but he has done so far more extensively through the word, Jesus Christ. 
also through the written word, the Bible. Therefore, we don't have the luxury to fashion a God to fit our own liking. We have the moral responsibility to submit to God as he has revealed himself to us through the word. And through the word, we're clearly taught that God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. In the beginning, we're told, was the Word, and the Word was with God. And we also learn here in John 1 that the Word was God. This is a powerful and brilliant revelation of the nature of the Word. Nothing higher could be said about the Word than this, that that all that may be said about the character of God may rightly be said about the Word. The Word was and still is deity. There, there is no question about that. Put the three phrases together again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, as John We'll say later in verses 14 through 18 teaches so clearly that the word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. So Christmas is all about the incarnation. God took on the body of a man. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks. So we, we can clearly say that the word was God. That is, the Word has all of the attributes and all of the character traits of God. The Word was in nature God. The Word was deity. Now, one commentator has said this, and I quote, Word and God are not totally interchangeable terms. The Word of God, though the Word is God, God is more than just the Word. God is also the Father. While the word is identified in verse 14 as the Father's one and only. And so we see clearly that the word has a very nature of God, but the word and the Father are not the same persons. If you say God was the word, then you would limit God the Father to the word. In saying this, you would lose the distinction of the person of the word from the person of God the Father. But when you say the word was God, you are saying that the person of the word is all that God is, but you do not limit the person of God only to the word. So remember, God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. We're told in verse 2, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then verse 2 says this, He was in the beginning with God. So here in this verse, nothing new is taught. Really, it serves as an excellent summary verse to what we've learned already. The Word was in the beginning with God. But we also learn in verse 3 that all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So in, in other words, the word created all things. Verse 3 teaches us that the word is the agent of creation. Nothing has been made that was not made by him. 
This is consistent with what is said about Jesus all throughout Scripture. Listen to Colossians 1, verses verses 15 through 17, and I quote, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Also, the language of Genesis 1 demonstrates that the triune Godhead was involved in creating the universe out of nothing. Uh, Genesis 1.26 says, let us make, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So not teaching that there are three gods, but that the one true God is three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, look also at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. We, we are taught the same thing clearly again, and I quote, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So John 1, 3 again says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So that includes things that we see with our eyes, such as the mountains and the birds. Um, It's kind of interesting. Did you know that there are over 800,000 different types of insects known and cataloged today? Over 800,000 known uh, insects. Uh, That includes those pesty little mosquitoes and Asian beetles and box elder bugs. Um, That also includes our entire galaxy. Uh, John MacArthur has said this, and I quote, the sheer size of the universe is staggering. The sun, for example, has a diameter of 864,000 miles. That's 100 times that of the Earth's and could hold 1.3 million planets the size of the Earth inside of it. The star Betelgeuse has, however, has a diameter of 100 million miles, which is larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. It, it takes sunlight traveling at 186 miles per second about 8.5 minutes to reach the earth. Yet that same light would take more than four years to reach the nearest star, some 24 trillion miles from earth. The, the galaxy to which our sun belongs, the Milky Way, contains hundreds of billions of stars. And Astronomers estimate there are millions or even billions of galaxies. What they can see leads them to estimate the number of stars in the universe at 10 to the 25th power. John MacArthur says this is roughly 
roughly the number of all the grains of sand on the world's beaches, end of quote. I say all of that to say this, that our, our puny minds really can't comprehend how vast and how awesome the universe is, just the universe that God, that Christ has created. Um, he, he's created things that we see with our eyes. He's also created things that we don't see. He's created thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. This includes political rulers. It's important for us to remember that. Scripture clearly teaches that God raises up and tears down all of the world's political figures. And they are, in fact, used to accomplish his purposes. So we rest in the power and the sovereignty of our all-wise God. Colossians 1.16 says, All things were created through him and for him. Uh, one commentator says this, Creation is for Christ in the sense that he is the end for which all things exist, the goal toward whom all things were intended to move. They are meant to serve his will, to contribute to his glory. Their whole being, willingly or unwillingly, move to him. Whether as his blissful servants, they shall be as it were his throne or as his stricken enemies, his footstool, end of, end of quote. Je Jesus is the creator of the universe. Therefore, it's fitting for us to worship him. In Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, all things were created. If you're a born-again believer today, you know this, that you were created and you were redeemed to be a person who lives for the praise of God's glory. You, you, and, you and I exist to bring praise to his matchless name. I, I can remember well that period of time prior to God saving me where I began to wrestle with, what, why am I here? What, what is my purpose? What is life all about? And God led me through a series of things where I began to really question for the first time in my life why, why I'm alive and what my purpose ultimately is. And God began to teach me through the word, the written word, and he revealed uh, the person of the word to me and brought me to an understanding where I can say with certainty based upon the word's teaching that we exist today. He created us and he redeemed us so that we would be a people who live for the praise of his matchless name. That's, that's a great privilege. There's no greater privilege than that. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what does... John 1 verses 1 through 3 teach us about the word we, we learn the word is eternal he was with God he was God he's the creator of all good things and so now Christmas is all about savoring the truth that 
this very word, the eternal one who was with God, who was God, who created all things. Christmas is about affirming and savoring the truth that this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we close this morning, I want you just to ponder that glorious truth with me just for a minute. This idea that the one who is eternal, who was God and was with God, he is the creator of all good things. At Christmas, we celebrate and we savor that wonderful truth that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. How does baby Jesus, and I, when I say that, I don't say that in a flippant or disrespectful way. How does the incarnation of Jesus reveal the glory of God? Let me mention three things. One is that Jesus displays humility like none other. He, when he came to this earth, he never stopped being God, but took on the fragility of human flesh. He, he came into the world as a weak, dependent baby. <laughs> Virtually no one except Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the magi and even they didn't fully comprehend who Jesus really was. Talks about how Mary pondered these things in her heart. I don't think they fully understood or fully comprehended the significance of this baby that was born. It, he, he came into this world as a weak, dependent baby. He had to be cared for by earthly parents. Again, remember, when I'm talking about this these things, this is the one who is eternal, who was God and was with God. He's the creator of all good things. He came into this world as a weak, dependent baby. We, we know that he had to be cared for by his parents and his heavenly father. The Holy Spirit ministered to him as well. The, the creator of all things accepted a position of dependency. He, he had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to grow. He had to learn to read. He had to learn how to swing a hammer and use a saw. He, he created the universe, but now had to learn how to create a chair. He, he had to obey his parents. He, he got tired. He experienced hunger. He was not understood by other children that Joseph and Mary had after him. For 30 years, he really lived in obscurity. This is the eternal one who was with God and who was God, who created all things, living 30 years on this earth that he created in relative obscurity. And then, and then when... He went public with his public ministry. His very own people rejected him and crucified him. This is the word who was in the beginning, who was with God and was God. It's a picture that, it's a reality that displays humility like none other. Number two we know that this word, Jesus, was willing to endure humiliation and suffering for sinners, for sinners. 
He, he was obedient to death, even death on a cruel Roman cross. And so the, the father then gave him a name that was above all names. The, the word that we have talked about this morning came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. The word now, Jesus now, the resurrected Jesus now is at the Father's right hand in an exalted position. But first, he, he had to learn to suffer. He had to endure suffering. Suffering came before, before glory. His, he endured humiliation and suffering for sinners. It's an astounding truth. But three, we also see the glory of God in the reality that when Jesus was willing to go to the cross and lay down his life, it demonstrated the, the great love, the supreme love that he had for his father. He wanted to do his father's will. And when he went to that cross, he showed his love, his great love, not just for doing his father's will. He loved his father. He also went to that cross because he loved those that he came to die for, those that he came to save. We, we see the glory of God in the revealed word to us in an ever uh, clearer way when we understand that he was in the beginning he was with God and he was God. He created all things and yet uh, he displayed great humility. He endured humiliation and suffering and death. And he demonstrated love for God and love for those that he came to save. Now, as we close, let me, let me ask you just about John's gospel. Why, why was John's gospel written? What stirred the heart of John? What was the Holy Spirit's intent for writing all of the Gospel of John, including the portion that we thought through carefully this morning. Well, we're told that very explicitly in John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the, of the disciples, which are not written down in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as we think about Christmas, as we think about the incarnation of the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So as, as we think about the Word who was in the beginning, who was with God, in fact was God, who created all things, why was that revealed to you? Why is that being revealed to you? It's so that you will believe, so that you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So my question to you this morning is, do, do you believe? That's an important response to the revealing of the word. It's an important response as we consider the message of Christmas. It's an important response for us if we want to be ready for Christmas. And the second, the second response, and really the question I want to ask you is, are, are you worshiping? So if you are believing, 
The Spirit of God will be at work in your life so that you will have a desire in your heart to worship God in spirit and in truth. And when we talk about worshiping, we're, we're talking about how we, by this, through the Spirit's work in our life, are learning to make the very person and the very will of God central in our lives, where we're, we're learning to care more about righteousness than anything else. We care more about seeing God glorified in our life than anything else. And that's an important part of our progressive sanctification where we're being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ where in whatever circumstances we face in life whatever the Lord lovingly allows into our life our aim and our goal if we're responding right to the incarnation of Christ and the person of Christ we believe but then we also have this desire to worship him. And when we worship him, we want to bring glory to him in our response. We want our lives to reflect the character of Christ for the praise of God's name in an ever-increasing way. That, that's how we can be ready for Christmas. And I pray that will be a, a growing reality for you. Let's pray together. Father, this morning it's a great delight to be able to open up the written word and to learn about the person of Jesus, the word who was in the beginning, the word who was with God, the word who was God, who created all that is. It's astounding to us that this word took on flesh and dwelt among us, and that in his humility went to the cross, willing to endure and suffer in our place, demonstrating his love for you and his love for those that he came to save. And I pray, Father, that during this time of year, we as a church will not let the busyness and all of the trappings, as good as they are, help us to not let all of those trappings cloud out what is most important. I pray, Father, that you would give us eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. I pray that you, by your Spirit, would enable us to be a people who live by faith in Jesus every day. And I pray, Father, that as we make ourselves ready for Christmas every day of the year, when we make ourselves ready for Christ, that our response to him being revealed to us is that we'll worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we, we're weak. We get distracted. We are at times overwhelmed with various things. And so we pray, and I pray for this, your church. Right now, uh, here at Grace Hill, Lord, there there just seems to be, from a human perspective, so many things going on in the lives of people. And I, and I pray that you would enable us, by your Spirit, to respond to whatever is happening in a way where the character of Christ will be reflected in our lives in ways that will bring honor to your great name. You're, you're worthy of that. And I pray that you would help us to do that 
in ever-increasing ways. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.